0: Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Zakari.
1: Good morning. First, let me wish all of our 18,000 listeners around the world a very happy and joyous Christmas Eve. My name is Frank Sicari, and you're listening to Life-Altering Events on the VoiceAmerica.com Empowerment Channel. Now, this is a time of year for peace, caring, and concern for our loved ones and for each other. So in between your frantic rushing for that perfect gift, the final decorations on your tree or your house, wrapping what seems to be an endless number of presents, and the preparation for that meal with relatives you only see once or twice a year, please take time to pause and remember what makes this time of year so special. For me, it's time for me to reflect on how lucky and blessed I have been. I still have my father, now 90 years old, and in pretty good health. My two daughters are healthy and happy in spite of having me as a single parent for most of their life. My 15-year-old grandson is healthy and he's a perpetual motion machine. My wife, Helen, has given me a new and better perspective on life and love these past four years. And her adult son has become the son I never had. My brothers and sisters are all healthy and happy with wonderful families. This radio show is my latest life-altering event. I was never in the media world, I never dreamed that I would have a radio show. But my executive producer, Camille Nash, was persistent and kept saying to me what I have often said to you, have the courage to seize the moment and change your life forever. Today is our 23rd show. Because of your support, we have over 18,000 listeners in 15 countries. So let me hear from you. If you have a life-altering event that could inspire others, visit the life-altering event page at voiceamerica.com, click on email the host, and tell me about this event that so drastically changed your life, how you addressed it, and where you are now. We will review it for content, and if it fits well into the program, we'll contact you about using it in a future broadcast. This show has been renewed for an additional 52 weeks. So I need to hear from you. Let me share your story with the world. Today, we're going to replay the show that you made the most listened to episode. This show is called Five Years to Live. Please enjoy it again and have a happy, healthy, and safe holiday season. All right, today's show. Today's show, we're going to get into a a really uh, intense life-altering event So what has altered your life? In the past 19 years, we have faced September 11th. We've had this never-ending war, it appears, in Iraq and Afghanistan. We've been through the financial meltdown, the collapse of the housing market, two major recessions, corporate downsizing, outsourcing, and companies moving jobs overseas, families having to uproot and move and look for new jobs. Now, these life-altering events will challenge you in every way you can possibly imagine. Personal lives are often destroyed. You see divorce, financial ruin. There's depression comes into play, addiction, and even suicide. Hopefully, you've all avoided these landmines unscathed, although the odds are you probably have not. One family, my family, Life-altering event was a call that everyone dreads. The call goes like this. There's been an accident, and your 24-year-old son is paralyzed. That was the call my parents and my sister received on August 11th, 1985. Now, here in studio in Phoenix with me is my brother Steve, whose life was altered that day, and my sister Annette who took that phone call. Now before we start with Annette, let me tell you a little bit about my sister. She is now a PhD in health psychology. She is a licensed certified social worker and she's a president and counselor for Zachary and Associates LLC Counseling Service in Scottsdale. Now she has over 30 years experience in counseling. She specializes in medical crises, helping people who have experienced a traumatic event a disability, or an illness, as well as a number of mental health disorders. So as as tragic as something like this is to happen to your family, we have an expert in the family who is aware of of what we're going to be going through. So Annette, way back when, 34 years ago, what do you remember about that phone call?
2: I remember um, the phone call or the telephone rang at 1130 on a Saturday night. And my father answered the phone. Immediately, I could see confusion on his face. He couldn't seem to understand what the person on the other end of the phone was saying. And he turned to me, and as I stood there watching him, and said, I don't know what they're saying. I don't understand what they're telling me. They're saying something about Steve, but I don't know what they're saying to me. So he handed me the phone. And by then, my mother was there and pretty, you know, suspicious that something was going on. When I answered the phone, it was a hospital emergency room telling me that my brother Steve was in a car accident and that he fractured his neck and that the hospital in New Jersey where he was initially taken to after his car accident could not handle the depth and the breadth of his injury, and they were transferring him to Thomas Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia. My father and mother were standing there helpless, not understanding what I was hearing and what was going on. After I got all of the necessary details of where he was going, what location he'd be in, I had to sit down with my parents and tell them what happened. I asked them both to sit because I knew they would be devastated by this news. And when I told them that Steve was in a car accident and he was hurt very badly and that he broke his neck and that we don't know anything more than that other than he was going to a specialized trauma unit in Philadelphia and that we would make arrangements to get out there to meet him they were both stood there in shock and disbelief and just looked at me immediately my mother began to cry and asking me questions of what does this mean is he alive what happened is he going to live And my father just sat there, put his hands or put his head in his hands and just cried softly. Immediately, I went into action because I didn't have the time to grieve or I didn't have the time to be shocked or to be horrified by the news. I immediately then called the airlines, got tickets for the three of us to get on a plane to go to Philadelphia. I contacted the hospital and asked to speak with the on-call social worker to let her know we were coming and all of the things that we would need include lodging, Location, maps of the hospital, and I asked her to meet us there in the lobby when we arrived the next morning. And then I had to make that dreaded phone call to all of my, to my brothers and my sister and to my aunt who lived close by, who I knew could come over and help my mother, who by this time was completely devastated and could not even begin to start packing to get ready to go on the plane the very next morning. And uh, it was wonderful that she was able to come and help us, along with uh, my cousin Frank Krea who was there and helped us as well.
1: Now, worse yet, is uh, the family is, is, is devastated. You don't know what to do. Where do you go? How am I going to get to the hospital? Who do I see? And Annette uh, handled all those arrangements. Now, Annette, as a professional, what's the impact that you had to prepare them for that was going to happen to Steve?
2: Well, because I knew that his uh, broken neck, and, he, and they had already told me that his neck was broken at C6, cervical spine 6, and dislocated of cervical spine 7. And if you ever go, you know, touch the back of your neck and count down on your cervical spine, you will see what um, area of the brain or of the spine was injured. But what I was knew immediately was that he was going to be paralyzed from the chest down, and that he would have involvement in all limbs. And I didn't even know if he was going to be able to shrug his shoulders. But this is what I knew when it happened. Now what the family doesn't know is what am I going to see? Um, is he going to be you know bloody? Is he going to be paralyzed? Is he going to be um, able to talk to us? Am I going to be able to touch him? Am I going to be able to hold him? You know what? What can I do? What can I say? What you know? What can we do together as a family? And preparing them for what they would see, which would be my brother laying on what is called a striker frame, which is basically two stretchers, He laying face down on a stretcher and then being flipped over every few hours while he was on a vent, which is a ventilator that's inserted into the throat and allows him to breathe freely because with this type of injury, you never know if it's going to affect the pulmonary system, the breathing um, abilities of a patient. So my parents really had no idea what they were going to look at and what they were going to see, and trying to prepare them for it just was completely devastating for them to even begin to understand what that would look like. It's, it's
1: terrifying for a, a family who, who doesn't have someone like Annette, who at least is aware, but you can just imagine the horror of walking in com- completely unprepared and what you might uh, what you may be seeing. Now, Steve, Steve, fill us in. You had, prior to this accident, you had one of the most productive, active lives of anybody I've ever met. Why don't you share with the listeners what your life was like prior to this accident?
3: Well, prior to the accident, I would say, because I was 24 when I got hurt. My uh, high school years were wonderful. I was really involved in a lot of stuff, um, a lot of service organizational stuff. Uh, My senior year, I was a... Lieutenant Governor for the Southwest District for the state of New York. I got to go to New York City and represent the area and learn about leadership and training and all about service organizations. Student Council, uh, council Treasurer, uh, my senior year. I got involved in being from a small school. It was wonderful to be involved in so many activities that the school did, and we were all pretty much involved. And then I went on to uh, Canisius College in Buffalo, New York because uh, it was the best business school in the area. I wanted to be work in the business world. And I went there, and again, I was involved in a lot of service stuff there as well. And um, I ended up working in the uh, campus ministry office and doing a lot of work with the, uh, the Jesuits who run Canisius.
1: Well, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, the Buffalo, New York, and the various colleges, there's a number of schools in Buffalo. And if uh, students want to be honest... Uh, they all want to go to Canisius, but uh, only a few select individuals actually get into Canisius College, and that, that was what my brother was at that level. Um, we're looking at someone who wanted to stay in the western New York area, wanted to be in the business world, and probably even get into politics, and eventually at some point be the mayor of Buffalo. Uh, now, Steve, I know this is difficult here, but tell us what, um, what you recall about the accident.
3: Well, at that point, I got my first job out of college, and I was working for a department store chain called Ames Department Stores, and I was a uh, traveling supervisor. So my job was to travel um, to different stores and help do a reopening or a grand opening or reopen or remodel the store. And so uh, on the day of the injury, I was coming from uh, being home for the weekend, got to see my girlfriend and... I was driving from Delhi, New York to Delaware to do a remodel, and I um, was on the New Jersey Turnpike, and I remember coming up over a hill, it was late, and I hit a car that was parked partially into my lane, and I remember the car was longer on its wheels at this point, and I remember it sliding on its roof and seeing sparks and thinking, I hope this comes up on the wheels, because it would be a lot easier to get out. By the time the car finally came to a stop, it seemed like within seconds somebody was there, said, don't move. I called an ambulance around the way, he turned the car off, said, we'll be, just wait here, don't do anything. They're on their way.
1: That was a terrifying experience. The the report, which, which, which you probably don't remember, but we all read the report, and when the car hit, it flipped end over end. And then it was hit by another car. So the impact of this, of this accident was absolutely devastating. Um, we talked to the paramedics who uh, got Steve out of the car later, and they came to the hospital, and uh, they, <laughs> they said, But your brother cheated death here? Um, you know, this, God's got a plan here somewhere because very, very few people survive an accident that's this devastating. All right, we are coming up here on a break so uh, we're going to take a break here. When we're going to come back, we're going to continue this conversation with my brother Steve and my sister Annette Zakari on this uh, five years to live uh, segment of our program. You're listening to life-altering events, and I'm Frank Zakari on the Voice America Empowerment Network. Contact me at life-altering-event page at thevoiceamerica.com. Press email the host; you'll get a message directly to me. You can also connect with me on Facebook. LinkedIn, or on my website, uh, www.franksicari.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com book frank zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event frank is a dynamic entertaining and fascinating storyteller your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately email frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealtering events radio at gmail.com or call 916 718 5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Zicari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back. This is Frank Zakari, and you're listening to Life Altering Events on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Before the break, we were talking with my brother Steve Zakari and my sister Annette Zakari. And my brother Steve was involved in a very devastating accident, and he was just telling us what uh, he recalls about that accident. Uh, the car flipped multiple times, was hit. Paramedics, they would used the jaws of life to get him out. And then they took him to a the closest local hospital, which Annette mentioned earlier, he was simply not prepared to handle this. And then he was transferred to... Thomas Jefferson Hospital in downtown Philadelphia, one of the best spinal cord hospitals in the country. All right, so I'll up to speed here. Steve, you're at Jefferson. You're waiting for information. You know mom and dad are on the way. Uh, you know how mom and dad are and how difficult this is going to be for them. What was it like when they walked in the room when mom, dad, Annette, and Joan and our cousin Frank came in?
3: Uh, well, I was on a, well, a ventilator, a breathing tube, and I knew I wouldn't be able to speak. So I wanted to try to ease their concern because the looks on their face was pretty terrifying that I knew something was not good. So I kind of did like a little dance motion with my hands to get them to laugh a little bit so sort to of put them at ease to say, I'm okay. Everything's fine. I'm okay. I
1: think that was a big help. Um... For them, I'm sure. Now, once we, uh, we were in the hospital and they were getting ready to do the surgery, and then they discovered blood clots. So they had to postpone the surgery until they could remove the blood clots. Uh, that was 10 days. So an additional 10 days of being on the striker frame that Annette had talked about where they have to flip in back and forth over and over again. You have to worry about things like uh, bed sores or decubitus ulcer is the, the official name. But there's nothing to do. Now you have to there's nothing you can do except wait at this point And let your mind and and your mind runs through the worst possible scenarios. By this time the rest of the family was in Philadelphia and we were all prepared for the, for the surgery. Now after the surgery, which took several hours the doctor came in, and Annette, he's the. it was she, she spoke to you. What What did she say, and what do you remember about this?
2: What she said to me was that your brother made it through the surgery. It was successful. We were able to fuse his neck, and at this time, he will never be able to walk again. He will be paralyzed from the chest level down. He will have very limited use of his hands and no use of his legs. He will never walk. And what we can do at this point is now prepare him to live as a person with a disability, as a person who will be using a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And in doing that, we will recommend rehabilitation and working with specialists who could help him make those types of adjustments, as well as working with my family, my parents especially, and being Caregivers and understanding what they would need to do to assist him. They
1: remember them mentioning uh, things such as there would be additional surgeries were going to be required. He was going to struggle with bladder and urinary tract and kidney infections for probably the rest of his life. His skin could break down at any point due to poor circulation. And the point that I recall this conversation was all of these issues can be fatal. Now, me being me, who is the more direct and blunt member of this family, I asked the doctor, I've read that people with this type of injury live on an average five years. Is that true, yes or no? And the doctor did the doctor thing. Well, it all depends on, and I remember cutting her off and saying, I'm not holding your feet to the fire here, doctor. Yes or no, the average is five years. And she said, yes, that is true. So now we have to prepare for um, dealing with this catastrophic injury and recovery and rehabilitation and possibly only having our brother for another five years. Now, Steve, you heard the news in a very different way. Why don't you tell the listeners how you found out about this? I was in the hospital, obviously,
3: laying there, and people are coming and going. And since Thomas Jefferson is a university teaching hospital, the doctor doesn't walk in by himself. He walks in with an entourage of medical students that are working under him. And they're doing all this focus on my arms, and they're testing my arms and for strength, but nobody's actually ever touched my legs. And so I'm still kind of confused, thinking, all right, I got a broken neck. Once the neck is healed, I'll be fine. I'll walk out of here. Again, there's no focus. And finally, uh, one Saturday, the uh, therapist, who was the a physical therapist, Chris Gervasi came in and she was doing some work with me and she was stretching my legs and we were talking and I just said, How uh, come nobody's talking about my legs? I said, What's going on here? So you should ask your doctor. And I said, well, I've asked my doctor, They're not telling me anything. So so tell me what's going on with my legs and she kept dancing around it because it's not her job to make this discussion. And I just said to her, Am I gonna walk again or not? And she kept going on to ask your doctor And I finally cornered her and said, come on, I trust you more than I trust them. Tell me what's going to happen. And she said, "Uh, the odds are not in your favor.
1: All right, at that moment, it strikes you. What was the first emotion that went through your
2: mind?
3: Uh, Well, first emotion, probably shock. Like, what am I going to do? What do I do now? I don't want to live like this. What do I do? And um, started crying. Very emotional, and so she just says, "Kept saying, everybody's different. We don't know."
1: Now at this point, Chris walked out of the room, saw Annette, and it was just the look on her face was all you needed to see. And what did you do?
2: I immediately went in to be with Steve, and to talk to him, and to try to work through you know the crisis he was feeling. And he was crying and telling me, "I can't live this way. I don't want to live this way." Because what am I going to do? Where am I going to live? Um, what? What? How do I take care of myself? What am I going to do with my life? Am I going to work while I have children? Will I be able to even be intimate again? And all of these questions, which are not unusual after a spinal cord injury, were just pouring from him. And one of the things that was very resounding to me was, "I don't want to live this way." And I just basically, as my brother would say, I yelled at him and said you can do this, you can do this, we are all here for you, we could do this, we're going to learn, you're going to learn, you're going to have a good life and you're going to do something special with it and we are going to learn how to do this together.
1: Now at this point, in in this type of a trauma, the patient is in grief or shock, denial, it doesn't know what, what to do here and to expect the injured party to be able to cope is, uh, is an unreasonable expectation and the family and the support group has now becomes critical and this is your specialty in that. Tell, tell the, the listeners what and why the, the social environment is so critical in this type of, a, of an injury.
2: It is absolutely essential that the patient under these circumstances has as much support around them as possible and that the family... Is understanding and, and, and a part of this recovery process because this injury didn't just happen to the patient, to my brother, it happened to all of us. And we had to all pull together and be there for him because he was starting to now live his life as a person who would be a wheelchair user, who would never be able to take care of himself again. And he wouldn't require care and assistance and personal care attendance and assistance with bowel and bladder care and helping get dressed in the morning and getting in and out of a wheelchair, getting in and out of bed, plus managing, as Frank said earlier, kidney infections, urinary tract infections, even pulmonary infections, which would may be the thing that he succumbs to. So it was a, it's it's essential that the family get together and rally around. And one of the things that I did was try to get as much support and resources from the support groups that were there at the hospital the social workers the counselors the psychologists who could all be there to help my family understand what steve was dealing with so that we could be the best way we could be the best team to be able to then help him through it through this process and help each other now this
1: support group extended well beyond the family as i said in, the, in our first very first show they have a very large family, so people were coming in from all over the country to visit Steve. Letters were being sent out. He received letters from uh, then-Governor Mario Como, from Senator Kennedy, from Cardinal Spillman, from Lee Iacocca. Uh, Jack Kemp, who was a congressman in the Buffalo area, sent a letter and even showed up to, uh, at the hospital to, uh, to talk to Steve. So the support system becomes critical. One of the uh, statements that uh, they, they made, uh, they heard, I heard people say was, they kept asking, who is your brother really? I mean, who is he really? And we said, what, what are you talking about? Who is he really? And they said, he, he had, Teddy Pendergrass was injured, and Teddy Pendergrass, the singer, was in that hospital, and he had gotten more mail than anybody. And they said, your brother, mail, has exceeded what Teddy Pendergrass got. So reaching out from the family to all support systems, schools that he went to, friends that he had, public officials, anyone, just reach out and and, and bring as much support to the individual as possible. So Steve, you went through Thomas Jefferson for the the main trauma, and then you were transferred to McGee Rehabilitation Hospital, which is also in Philadelphia, not too far down the road. Tell us what happened when you went in there. I uh, started my rehab at McGee, again they were affiliated with
3: Jefferson, so there was a crossover between doctors working at both facilities, which was incredibly comforting. And then when I got to McGee, uh, I found out that my resident doctor was a guy that was over at Jefferson that I used to joke with a lot and pick on and make fun of. He became my doctor and he goes, I told you, should have been nicer to me. So that kind of relieved me a little bit that I'm going into this new environment, cold. And then some of the guys I was in the hospital with had already been moved over from Jefferson to McGee. I got to see them as I was wheeling around talking to them. And they were able to uh, tell me what was going on, what was gonna happen. And I could see it was a little different environment than what it was at Jefferson. And there's a sign as you come in, McGee, that says, the journey starts here. And that's just like, okay, now I know. Here's where it begins.
1: Here's where it begins. When I got there to McGee, uh, my mother said, uh, "Look at the sign." Then I saw that, and it says, "The journey starts here." And then she said, "Or it ends here." Now it's up to the rehab. is is a lot of physical work, and it's up to the patient at this point to de- to decide. Am I going to am I going to put in the energy and the effort? Now there were a couple of gentlemen, Steve, when you got there, you heard this story. There was a lot of depressed people, obviously, but there were the two men that caught your attention. Tell us about them.
3: Both of those guys were having a good time in a wheelchair and joking and laughing and talking, and they were kind of like the semi-leaders of the pack, I would say, that they kind of kept everybody in a good mood. They would do contests. They would see how long they could tip their chairs and do wheelies. They were just having a good time and laughing, and I'm thinking, Okay, there's something here. Either there's something in the Kool-Aid here or there's just something going on with this. So I remember talking to those guys and asking them what's going on and you know, how did you get to this point and they just said, you just got to work at it. Just keep working at it. Come to therapy every day and do your best.
1: I recall talking to some of the people when they would, would go to the, the therapy sessions and you could almost see who was going to survive or who was going to thrive and who was not. At that point, it became more mental, it was The physical, obviously, but then it was the mental. How did you attack that, Steve?
3: Well, I think uh, denial really does work in your benefit in the beginning because you really don't want to, like I said, I didn't want to spend my life in a wheelchair, and I thought, I'm going to beat this, I'm going to walk out of here, and you're all wrong, and I'm going to show you. So my motivation was to prove everybody wrong, and being the stubborn person that I am, that was my goal. And I was going to show you, you're all wrong. And that's where the, the journey began, I'm like what do I have to do? Just tell me what I have to do, show me what I have to do, put me on the mats, put me in whatever, so make me as independent as possible, and that's going to be my goal.
1: Alright, we're coming up on another break here, I don't want to start in on, on what I'm going to ask Annette, so we're going to go to break right now. Um, we're coming up on the short break. Don't leave. We're going to get into the, the, the continuing of this rehabilitation on this story of this devastating injury to my brother, Steve. Now, you're listening to the Life-Altering Events is the name of the show. My name is Frank Zaccari, and we're on the Voice America Empowerment Network. Again, you can contact me at Life-Altering Events page and voiceamerica.com. Press email the host, and I'll get your message. Stay with us. This story's going to get better.
0: Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Frank Sicari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five years to live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event. At lifealtering events radio at gmail.com or call 916 718 5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events Radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Change your world, change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Life-Altering Events, and I'm Frank Zakari on the Voice America Empowerment channel now before the break we were talking about uh, with my brother steve Zakari, who was in a uh, devastating accident that has left him in a wheelchair and my sister annette who is a counselor psychologist uh, phd who understood this better than than all of us at the time it occurred now we're going through this and steve had just mentioned that denial initially when you're involved in this type of a devastating accident is important because it it helps you to cope. And as Steve was going through therapy and the group sessions and things, he had this attitude that uh, I'm walking out of here. And one of the therapists saw Annette, knowing Annette's background and and, and her expertise, and asked Annette, or said to Annette, he's in denial. This is a problem. You need to talk to him. What did you tell her?
2: Well, I first was kind of surprised that she even said that um, because my feeling is, is that a denial gets a patient through the initial crisis. So I told her that I was not going to tell him that he was wrong and that we would work through this together. And when he was ready, he would then learn what his body can do, what it can't do. And he will learn what the reality will be. But to go in there and just to beat him over the head with, you're never going to walk again, was not going to motivate him to continue to work hard and to cope and to try to be as independent as possible. I did not want that to be devastating. And I told her that all that I'm going to say to Steve was that what we know today is that you are working towards getting better and being as independent as possible. We don't know what tomorrow will be, but we at least know what today is, and that's where we're going to stay
1: and that was a major uh, a major issue is I would go back and forth to McGee I was living in California at the time, and uh, as we talked to uh, some of the other the people the patients that were there with Steve, some of them had just you could look at them and know that they had given up they'd get to get that this is it, and it's not going to go anywhere and I, I don't care, and I'm not going to try anymore. And I think Annette's message to them was, do not, do not take away his hope. We will deal with it when it comes to that point. Now, what's incredible about this story is as horrifying as this accident was and the devastation to Steve, to the family, all the damage was just not physical or mental or emotional. A number of things go along with this. The relationship that he was involved with ended. The young woman stayed for a period of time, but both of them decided that uh, it would be best to, to move on with their life. So throw that on top of everything else. Then, the one that drove me crazy, is the constant battles with the insurance companies. Now you have someone who is injured, is going through rehab, he's gonna be in a hospital 10 months, 12 months, whatever it was, he needs custom wheelchairs. He needs custom, in, custom equipment. And you're talking to insurance companies who are saying, we're not going to pay a damn thing until we're ordered to by the court. All right, having worked in the insurance industry, I realized that they were trying to put together the funds that they needed for some kind of injury to this devastating, and they were going to drag it out as long as they could. Now, Steve, you had two court cases, which you won. To get what you were entitled to, all right. Tell us the story when you had to go uh, to court and, and how that, and in 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 a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a not custom wheelchair. Tell us what that was like.
3: I was finally um, discharged uh, the following February, and my court case didn't come up till October. So from the time I was discharged till then, I was using the chair that. The hospital let me take home with me, and we were able to find a vendor locally that would let us use a hospital bed because he knew at some point he'd be paid so he didn't worry about it. And again, luckily, we have a family, a big family, and my cousin is a pharmacist, and he was able to supply all the medicine I needed because nobody was paying him either. He was willing to wait until the case settled. So finally in October, my workers' comp case came up and I had to go to a court and sit in the front of a judge and get cross-examined by a lawyer about that I really wasn't at work or was I at work. And the case went back and forth. And um, again, I think, for me, dealing with the disability was easier than dealing with the insurance companies. Because at least I knew what the disabilities what was going on. The insurance, I didn't know which way it was going to go. And the fact that they actually dragged me to court really bothered me. But I did go and I spoke with the judge and they ruled in my favor. And finally, at that point, the insurance company uh, came forward and started taking care of everything.
1: Now put yourself in this being your position, the people that are listening to this. Your loved one has been devastatingly injured. He's been told, or we've been told, that he may potentially live five years. One year is wasted Fighting with insurance companies. He doesn't have the equipment that he needs. He had a, a sustained a rotator cuff tear because he's using a wheel, a push chair instead of a custom power chair. Something has to change in this system. This is wrong, and I hope you never have to experience this in your life or in the life of any of your loved ones. One thing doctors uh, cannot explain or even predict is the power. Of the human spirit and the strong support system that Annette spoke about earlier. I remember talking to Steve. um, He used an expletive we won't use on the air here. And they said, Well, what do you think? And he said, What they could do with themselves, and uh, basically, they could reproduce themselves. I'm going to live 50 years after this accident. Now, Steve, I remember having several conversations with you, and you were determined. You're simply not gonna let this circumstance dictate your life. Now, since tell the listeners some of the challenges that you you've gone through trying to balance medication, Western medicine as you call it, and holistic treatment or eastern medicine.
3: I struggled with urinary tract infections initially for a long time, and I think that's again what why you probably tend to die within five years is because if you've never had a urinary tract infection you don't know what the signs are and I got a fever and all of a sudden I'm 103 fever and I don't feel good and I'm in the hospital emergency room being packed in ice being treated for a bladder infection. So that takes about three of those before you actually figure out what the symptoms are that you can start preparing yourself for when they're coming so you can, you can be a little bit ahead of the, the curve and the western medicine as great as it is only knows how to treat an injury or treat an illness, they don't know how to do sustained daily life, making your life easier, making your life better with just if you live better and take better care of yourself and you're on the right vitamins and you're not on drugs all the time. And so the balance for me was trying to figure out how to get off the antibiotics because I was on them for so long. At one point, I was immune to Bactrim, I had taken it for so long that I uh, found a uh, holistic doctor that um, named Dr. Michelle Ebert, she hooked me up with a lot of more of natural vitamins and naturals, um, things to take and things that I can do to help fight that, and so I spent you know, years learning about that and how to take better care of myself, and I found a doctor who is a primary care physician who also does holistic work, and he also provides medication if I need it, but his first his first go-to is let's try something natural first let's take care of this first and even when i um, accidentally got pneumonia from catching a cold and letting it go too long again he was there to help with all these stuff after i got out of the hospital to so, okay how we're going to get you better how are we going to build up your system again because western medicine doesn't tell you how to do any of that they just treat it they send you home so he was there with um, remedies and breathing stuff and different medications or natural remedies that I take now in the winter so I don't, I don't get as sick. So I'm on these things. And it takes a long time to figure this stuff out because your body doesn't react like it used to and you don't really know if it's affecting you or not.
1: Now, after 20 years, it was about the 20-year mark, the um, insurance company and uh, people, representatives from Craig Rehabilitation Hospital in Denver came to see you. And uh, and that was there. And that tell us that story when the the people came and what they were trying to do.
2: Well, it's an evaluation that the insurance company typically does after a length of time uh, following a spinal cord injury. But basically, what they were trying to do is determine how much longer Steve was going to live and how much more that they needed to pay out. And uh, it was not as obvious to everyone, but it was pretty obvious to me that they were looking at. Exactly what kind of care he needs and um, what kind of illnesses he's had, and asking the doctors to determine how much longer do you think that we're going to have to pay to keep this person alive? And that
1: is is annoying beyond belief. So you and Steve, um, they went you went to Craig Rehabilitation Hospital. you met with a series of doctors who came back with an overall treatment program for people like this. Share that with with the listeners in it.
2: It was actually Craig Hospital is one of the best hospitals in the country for people with spinal cord injuries but they really came back with a treatment plan that um, I think that we pretty much instituted already but they gave us additional information and additional processes to keep Steve healthy and strong and they basically said This insurance company is going to be paying for a very long time because we know how to take care of Steve and we know that you are doing the best you can, Steve, in taking care of yourself and your family has been absolutely um, there with you 100% and will also be able to learn how to make sure that you are taken care of for the rest of your very long life.
1: The report came out, the doctors got it published, and... Returned to the insurance companies and said, are you going to pay for the social interaction, for the holistic interaction? for all the, And they wouldn't answer the question, which kind of gives you what their answer is. Again, not a good situation. Now, going forward, Steve is, as he mentioned, he said he's a fairly stubborn individual, as I think we all are in this family. And... Um, Tell us some of the things you've done since getting out, getting a master's degree and other things that you've already accomplished.
3: And I had time to kill, I'm thinking at this point, because I don't know what's going to go on, so I went back and got a master's at State University College, Buffalo State, and um, Student Personnel Administration. That was a wonderful thing that kept me busy in one of those early years when I was trying to adjust and gave me something to focus on. Um, to keep me um, active and get me involved and got me out in the world. I was commuting back and forth to the hosp- or to the college and I got to know a lot of people at the college and I got to be out in the environment and see what the world was going to be like being in a wheelchair. And then realizing living in Buffalo in a wheelchair was probably not the best idea because of the massive amounts of snow. So in uh, 1990 I moved to Phoenix because Annette was already here and I uh, started getting involved in activities here. I started teaching at the local church in the confirmation program with teenagers, which was also wonderful to be out exposed to young people and to show them that life is okay when things are tough. I also um, got involved with uh, my uh, city councilwoman, helped on her election. She appointed me to a couple of boards and commissions, which was, again, to get me out in the environment and put me in situations I was the only person in a wheelchair, and I wanted to represent people in wheelchairs as well, so that was a wonderful opportunity to get to know more people. I um, also got involved at a different church later on, and I teach in the RCIA program for people who want to become Catholics, and I work with adults going into that. I've been doing that for 20 years now. And also I found a job working for Bill Scott with Abilities Unlimited. He uh, started a business on helping people, helping businesses make their businesses accessible.
1: And so right. I
3: worked with him for several years.
1: We are uh, getting close to uh, running out of time here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if, you, if you like what you've heard here and you want to hear more, email me, and we'll set up another time for Stephen and Annette to come back. If you want to read more about this in, in more detail than we've gone over today, we wrote a book on this story. It's called Five Years to Live, and you can get it on Amazon.com or you can go to my website, FrankSicari.com, and that will bring you the link to Amazon. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I pray to God that none of you or your loved ones are ever going to be faced with this type of a life-altering event, but there's no guarantees in life. Sometimes things will feel overwhelming, as you heard today, but they're not. Do not be a spectator in your life. Now, we're almost out of time. I want to thank my brother and sister for coming here and sharing this incredible story. No matter what life throws at you, look up, get up, and never, ever give up. Pick up the pieces and start moving forward. If you'd like more information, as I mentioned, send me an email, and we'll get you more information about this. Join me next week when we talk about another life-altering event. Remember, you can listen to this... uh, this episode by going to my website, franksacari.com, selecting media and scroll down. Thank you again. Let me leave you with this. No one's in this alone. The key to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. Thank you. See you next week.
0: Thank you for tuning in to life-altering events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The good kind.